We're going to continue in our series on faith, and we're going to continue in Hebrews 11, and we're going to continue looking at the life of Abraham. So if you could stand to your feet with me, we'll pray, or we'll read this passage of Scripture together. Uh, and if you could, just, just for me, if you could say the word faith with emphasis. So when we get to it, just by faith, and he, he went to live. Got it? Got it? All right, so let's read this together. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is God's word to us, Father. In the name of Jesus, I ask that you would stir our hearts for who you are and what you desire for us to have in in way of relationship with you and by way of purpose in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk today about how, by faith, Abraham was surrendered. He sojourned and he sought. He continued seeking. He didn't stop doing it. And here's this, here's this slide again that we've been going through this whole series. We have by blank, Abraham went to live in the land of promise. Now, the thing about this blank is that we spend much of our lives filling the blank with other things. And this week, I want to I think about what it looks like to fill the blank with the word excellence. Anybody fall victim to that trap? By excellence, Abraham went to live in the land of promise. Or by perfection, Abraham went to live in the land of promise. And by doing our absolute best and doing better than really everybody else, he went to the land, he went to live in the land of promise. Anybody else feel that way? If I could just do better? If I just got this together, then I could go live in the land of promise. If I just didn't have that weakness, then I could live in the land of promise. If, if, I, didn't, if I didn't stutter, maybe I could live in the land of promise and, be a, and, and uh, be a great communicator and speaker. If I didn't have this debt or if I didn't have these student loans, then I could live in the land of promise. If I didn't have this debt from this other thing, then I could live in the land of promise. If I didn't have this, if I didn't have this weakness in my character, then I could live in the land of promise. But it wasn't about who Abraham was, about him being perfect and him being excellent in all things that allowed God to call him. It's just simply that God saw something that nobody else saw, called him out, and Abraham said yes. By faith, Abraham said yes. This man was chosen out of, out of a pagan society. So it's not like he was chosen out of an altar call moment. It's not like he was attending church. It's not like he was, he was serving on all the teams and doing all the business. It's not like his prayer meetings were the greatest or he was the best communicator. He was chosen out of a pagan society. So he's doing things that pagans do. Like out of rooting for the Dallas Cowboys or the, or the Ravens. He was, he was using an Android phone, right? He was, he was doing things or an iPhone, whatever. Haters gonna hate. I really don't have a dog in the chase. I just wanted to make the most number of people angry. So, <laughs> so I really don't care. So he was using both. He, he, you know, he was a Fitbit guy, not a, an Apple Watch guy. You know, he, he, was, he was living this pagan life. And, and God didn't look at him and say, oh, man, you're missing the mark on all these things. He goes, you look like the kind of person that I could use. And last week we talked about before God even finished inviting him on this great journey, Abraham was packing his bags and ready to go. 
Because as God spoke to him, Abraham leaned into it, stepped all the way into it, and started pursuing God's call on his life. And I believe that that's the thing more than anything else that just that qualified him. God called and he answered. The word says that, by, uh, that faith comes by hearing and, wo- and hearing by the word of Christ. And so when God called, faith came to him. He heard the call of God. Faith came to him. Something woke up. Something made sense to him that never made sense before. He became alive in a way he had never been alive before and was like, I've got to do this. This has to happen. I hear and feel the call of God. I'm not saying that lightning shot through his bones. We don't know that. Maybe it was just kind of like he couldn't escape the thought. He's like, man, this is... This is it. This is that God that that Noah talked about. Hearing the voice of God. This is that God that Noah's descendants came back and told us. This is what Shem talked about. Like that, that, you know, God came to Noah and spoke to him. And maybe this is God speaking to me now. Whatever it was, he was fully bought in. That the voice that was speaking was able to bring it to pass. And so he says yes. He says yes, and he decides, to, he decides to, to go all in on this thing. He surrenders his plan because, you know, I, I said last week, and I think it bears saying again, that we, th- we think that these people in the Bible weren't doing anything. They were just like sitting around tossing rocks, right? Because they didn't have iPhones. So what, what were they going to do but toss rocks? They didn't have Netflix, guys. How crazy is that, a life without Netflix? I know my kids, my kids freaked out one time because they were like, well, we could just watch it later, Dad. I'm like, no, because it's, it's, live, it's live TV. And they're like, what's the difference? And it's like, you're right. It's, you don't know the difference because my kids have grown up with on demand, right? They don't know the struggle of, of like missing a show and it being gone forever. You're not going to see it. It's not happening. It's gone until they start reruns in the summer. You know, and, and, then, and then, you know, your mom and dad take you somewhere and you're going to miss it anyway because mom and dad don't want you watching that anyway. So you, you're, you're out. You missed it. And even if you had the time for it, you got to get the aluminum foil on the, on the rabbit ears just right to be able to watch it. And, you know, sometimes you get enough aluminum foil on there, the antenna falls. And so you just got to stand there and be part antenna, part entertained. Guys, that's, that's, yeah, that's how it was. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I guess I just need some help in my heart this morning. But we don't talk about Abraham today because, because he heard God. We don't talk about Abraham today because he heard God and told a lot of people what God said. Wouldn't that have been funny if Abraham had heard God and he's like, going to the land of promise. And he goes, hey guys, God called me and told me to go to the land of promise to inherit this great thing for my generations, gender generations. It's going to be fantastic. He, he was lightning shot down on my bones or I just can't stop thinking about it. It's going to be amazing. And then he's like, hey guys, over here. Hey, God told me it's going to be amazing. And then over here, God told me. It's, he started holding rallies. He started holding, like, you know, calling in all the people and, you know, showing up on big screens. And he's like, hey guys, God told me that he's going to get, you know, he's going to, he's calling me to a promised land. We're, we're talking about him today because, because he didn't just hear about it. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just inspire other people about what it was. But we talk about him today because he went. We talk about him today because, because regardless of whatever other plans he had in his heart and mind, when God spoke to him, he said yes. And he decided to take God's plan instead of his plan. Receive God's purpose instead of his purpose. He decided that this relationship that he could have with God by following him into this new place was more important to him than all the other relationships that he had right there at home. 
So we talk about Abraham today because he went to live in the land of promise. James 1.22 says, don't be hearers only. Don't be doers of the word, not hearers only, because if you're hearers only, you basically, you deceive yourselves. And the deception is this, that we think that what we believe and what we do are different. We do what we actually believe. We do what we actually value. Now, sometimes we're embarrassed by what we actually believe. Sometimes we're embarrassed by what we actually value, but we do what we actually value. At the end of the day, like, I, you know, I, I understand what people are saying when they're in court and they're like, it's not like me that that happened, except it is. Because you did it. Right? Like, I, when I yell at my kids, I said when I yell at my kids, not if I yell at my kids, if you caught that. So when I yell at my kids, it's like... Cut it out! You know, why are you guys yelling at each other? (laughs) And it's like, they'd be like, because you yell and we're just, and I'll be like, (laughs) I'm your father! (laughs) But, um, right? But I want to, well, I want to apologize and be like, oh, I'm so sorry, daddy's not like that. (laughs) Daddy's not like, he doesn't, he doesn't yell. That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't yelling. That was screaming. It's different. Yelling. (laughs) Screaming is something that dads do because they're allowed to. It's different when you're a dad. You get a license. They give it to you at the hospital. They put it in the operations manual they give you on the way out and it gives you permission. And you don't have permission until your dad's. Sorry, girls. You'll never be a dad. Um. But is that? But but the reality is, in the moment, I'm I'm choosing something. I'm choosing a different value than the one I'm proud of. I, I'm believe, I believe something different than I'm, than I'm proud of. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm insecure by it. And the reality is a lot of the things that we do, it's really because it's really we believe something. Like, or, or we don't understand the gravity of a thing. You know, if, if we really believed that smoking cigarettes killed us, we wouldn't be smoking cigarettes. Right? I mean, if we really believed that you know, cigarettes were, were bad for every, like, because we know it. We, we know it, but we don't, we don't know it. And so it has nothing to do with, it, 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 the things that we do have something to do with the values that we have and the beliefs that we carry. And that's always the truth. And so when you do something that you're not proud of, that's it, it, an opportunity to go, oh, something's out of line. Because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this, and I, I, need, I need work in my soul. I need something to help me. Uh, so that I can get, so that I can get in line with who it is that I really want to be and who it is that God has called me to become. So he went. I do want to say that faith is evidenced by action, and so he he wasn't just a hearer. He didn't hold seminars to talk about what he heard God say or how to hear God better. He 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 did. He heard and he went. And faith is evidenced by action. Now the action is going to be different depending on the thing that it is that you're believing God for. If you're believing for reconciliation in a marriage, the action that's going to be joined to that reconciliation is going to be a lot of repentance and a lot of hard work and a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of prayer, meeting with people, sitting down and humbling yourself. But you need to give action to the faith. Or you might, you might be deceiving yourself that you actually believe something that, that you don't. So in, in it, what the action is, is something that will be determined by God pressing on your heart and driving you to a specific place in your heart and mind to help you understand what that action is supposed to be. 
And that's one of the things I love about living in community is that there are men and women of God who can help me along the way and help me understand what action is appropriate for the faith that I have. Hey, I've got this thing. I've got this dream. I've got this idea. I've got this struggle that I want to overcome. Can you help me understand the right next steps to walk into the fullness of what I believe God has put in my heart? And people help me. Sometimes they tell me, no, don't do that. That'd be dumb or reckless or it's too early or, too, or, or out of order. And sometimes they're like, yes, charge, full speed ahead. And, and that's what's great to be about being in a house like this where we have people who are, who are more mature in their faith and we have people who are new to their faith and we can, we can balance things and bounce things off one another and love one another and care for one another in that way by giving counsel to one another. It's an extraordinary thing to be free to receive the counsel from people that you love. It's a wonderful thing to be free to give counsel when asked to the people that you love. And that's the beautiful part about being in the church. And so here he is, he's in the land of promise and I'm sure that when he got there, it was really comfortable and things were really good and it was fantastic right off the top. It was, it, was just, it was just fantastic because that's what happens when God puts a word in your heart. You go and every, there's a waiting party there for you. And, and, they, and they celebrate. Or you show up and it's like being in a foreign land and you're living in tents. And so you get there and somebody's already in your seat. And you're like, oh, because uh, my, my ticket says that's where I'm supposed to be. And they're like, well, this is where I am. You know, the only time that ever happened to me like real bad was at a Christian concert. And I was, I was chaperoning the youth group and, and these people took a row that wasn't their row. And I was like, so it's got our ticket. And they were like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I'm just saying it'd be real awkward if we threw down right now in front of, because <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not always on stage. And so <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's security here for a reason. And I'm it. And so... Let's go. No. <laughs> and so we ended up getting that row in front of them. So that was kind of nice. Um, don't fight. It's, it's not good. 180, 180, listen to Jermaine about fighting. Don't do it. Don't threaten either. It's bad. It's bad. My character wasn't fully formed yet. It was still, we'll talk about character development in just a second. <laughs> you know, the Chick-fil-A hadn't gotten there yet. You know, it was one of those parts of the, <laughs> it was one of those parts of the continent that Chick-fil-A hadn't gotten to. They weren't sure what, where the good school system was. They, they had a lot of, they had a lot of struggle. You know, it's like, we don't, we don't even know. He went to live and he's like, I, I'm in a tent. And um, here, here we are. And he had to sojourn, which means he had to, he had to be a foreigner. He had to be an alien in this land. And he moved from place to place, not really ever having a place. And I think that if there's a promise in your heart that God is causing you into a season of sojourning, into a season that feels like wandering and it feels like you're in a tent, but you're like, I thought God said this was going to be the thing. You were led by faith into this area. And now you're sitting here and all you got is a stupid tent. There are reasons for that. There are reasons for this season, and it's a, it's a process called sanctification. That means that God is working something out in you. He's working it out of you, and he's forming you in his image, and he's pruning off the crazy parts of your life. He's pruning off the selfish parts of your life. He's pruning off the immature parts of your life so that he can replace it and you can, with, other, with other more beneficial things so that you can bear good fruit in the long term. And so with this, even, even being in this new place, 
Um, actually, I'll get to that in just a second. So, but I will say that God uses discomfort to help us grow, to sanctify us, because he's more, he's more concerned with your change than he is your comfort. And he will use everything at his disposal to bring change and transformation to your life or make you aware of your need for change and transformation. Anybody been in a situation that God <laughs> put them in and you're like, oh, this is going to have to be some change and transformation occurring in that person because I'm not changing. <laughs> Anybody been there? That's awkward, right? God will lead us into places and the change and transformation is really for us as much as we're quick to talk about how the other person's going to have to change. Now, here, here are just a few reasons that God uses uh, discomfort to teach us. It tests your faith. If you got it right away, what you might have is just excitement and not faith. Excitement burns up real quick when it, when it, when it faces a challenge. It withers away after a couple months of, of difficulty, but faith endures. Faith stays at it. Day after day after day, seeking your eyes, looking forward on the promise that, that God has had for you. But excitement withers away. Excitement dies fast. Took a guy camping one time, and he wanted to rough it with me. So we took basically a bag of meat uh, into the woods. And we were like, we'll just do this one night. It'll be real good. And he was so eager and so excited. And we were, so we're, we're eating the meat. And then, you know, you see the, the stars disappear, and you're like, uh-oh. And we're committed to this thing. And, and all of a sudden, his, his faith that it was going to be an extraordinary thing and it was going to develop him as a man started withering. And, uh, and, and his excitement was long gone. And it downpoured on us for a, quite a while. And we were soaking wet in the woods with no tent. And just, just a little measly fire that we were desperate to keep up. <laughs> it was going to teach him to be a man, but very differently than, than he expected, even than neither of us expected. But excitement withers away quickly. Discomfort helps us know that we're not there yet. You know, have you ever, have you ever like hit a false summit on anything before? Where you like, you thought that you were there and it turns out that you were only really partway there? That's tough. Like, like you're running a race, if you've run a race, and, and you're like, oh great, yeah, we're like basically done. Look at all those people. And you're like, oh, there's another lap. That's not, that's not the race I wanted to run. Uh, <laughs> But it helps you know that you're not there yet. And Abraham had to live in this kind of discomfort or he would have settled down real quick and kind of settled among all the other things that were there instead of keeping his eyes on the prize that God had for him and keeping his eyes on the promise that God had placed in his heart. He would have settled for something far less than what God wanted him to be able to have. So it helps us. You know, I think that some of the discomfort that we face in life, we need to recognize that as God letting us know that we're just, we're not there yet. You know, that, that we aren't satisfied with pain and discomfort is a sign to us that there's something beyond this life of pain and discomfort that we have. And so when you face pain and discomfort, we need to recognize that I, I, God is up to something else. There's something higher. There's something different. There's something distinct from this life that we're currently living that I need to set my eyes towards and begin to anticipate and expect. God works stuff out in our soul. I already talked about that through sanctification. Just not having what you thought you'd have in the time that you would have it, it kind of shows you pretty quick, right? And it causes us to rely on God. I want to I write a sermon sometime. I want to call it Mobster God. He always gets what he wants. <laughs> and, and the idea is like, he just, because he does, he uses everything to, to, 
twist you, to get you where he wants you to be so that he can do something in your life. And, and if, if that offends you, it, it offended me too until I started thinking about why it offended me. The idea that God could twist me to a place that I don't like to do something in me that I don't want would be a real problem for anybody in this world to do to me because they don't know what's best. And that's why, that's why we call that manipulation. When somebody manipulates you to things and manipulates you in a relationship or into a relationship or into difficult circumstances, and they, it's manipulation. I'm not talking about somebody doing what's right for you, making you eat your vegetables, making you go to school on time. I'm not, I'm not talking about your parents making you go to, to clarinet practice. That's not what I'm talking about. What I, I'm talking about like the kind of manipulation that, that people are trying to get what they want out of you instead of work something in you for your good. And so... But, but when God does it, it is for our highest good. And, and he's God. It's kind of part of being God that he has the privilege and the right to do so. And that's why I take so much comfort in the description of God that we have in scripture, that he's a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. And he won't violate any of those, any of those attributes that he has in his process of conforming me to his will. That gives me great comfort. And it gives me the courage to say, God, go ahead and use me, twist me, morph me, mold me, however it is that you need me to be so that you can use me and so that I can be the man that you created me to be. So he wasn't just there by himself. He, it, was a, it was a family camping trip, and he had Isaac and Jacob with him. Now, Isaac and Jacob, he's not saying that they were in the same tent together. They weren't just packed into the same place. But Isaac and Jacob are his son and his grandson. They lived together for, uh, on, the, on the earth at the same time for about 15 years. So there's a chance that Jacob got to know Abraham and Abraham got to tell him directly. But what we know is that because of the faith of Abraham and because of his faithfulness and pursuing the promise of God, God, used, God continues that promise through his son Isaac and continues that promise through his son Jacob, continues that process through Jacob's sons. And so what we, what we see is this building out and this continuation of this process of, of, of passing down an inheritance. And um, so even though they were only with each other for about 15 years, whether or not they even had a relationship, we know that there was a generational transfer that occurred that's very, very significant. And, and I think that we need to be minded that way more than ever before about what am I passing down generationally and what is it that I value? What is it that I know? What is it that I have that you need? And what is it that you need that I, what is it that you have that I need? And that we create a generational culture where one generation is pouring into the next generation. I just looked up and I saw some people who poured into me in significant ways throughout, throughout all of my, throughout my, my life growing up here at Grace Covenant Church. People who helped me in a whole lot of different ways. One of the people I'm talking about gave me the courage to jump into full-time ministry. They said, hey, if you ever want to quit your job doing administration, we'll, we'll support you. We'll be your first partners for 50 bucks a month. And I didn't do it right away, but a little bit later it was like, you know what, I got to jump. They, they gave me courage to jump when, when God called me to jump. Somebody else in the room gave me, helped me understand how I think, which had been an enigma for pretty much everybody. <laughs> pretty much everybody's like, this guy's a loon. <laughs> it doesn't, I couldn't communicate clearly. I wouldn't, like, I love tangents and stuff like that, but my life was a tangent. And so it was like, it was like people told me early on in my ministry, they were like, hey, it's kind of like watching a, a train wreck. And it was like, cool, thanks. You know, and I, I was like, I didn't, uh, like, all right. 
great. I, I, you said it with a smile. I guess that's good. And really, <laughs> they were like, we just, we can't look away. But, <laughs> you know, you normally say something good towards the end when you figure out what you want to say. And it's like, okay, thanks. But this other man, he helped me. He's like, we sat down and we did a project. And so he's jotting things down. He goes, I just heard you say this. I said, oh, oh he, he, he repeated back to me. He goes, oh, this is what you said. I said, I didn't say that. And he goes, yeah, here's, here it is. It was just hidden under all this other information. And so he taught me that I'm a visual learner. And he's like, you need to just start working with a pen and paper. But they, they help me. And, and that's what happens in the community of God is we help one another and we help each other walk into the fullness of God's call. Now, to be this kind of church, we need, we, we're going to have Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs. Okay, Abraham inherited the promise. You're a little bit earlier. You know what it is. And you know a little bit something about faith. You've gone and you've seen the goodness of God through transition. You've seen God be faithful over there and over there. You've seen God be faithful in, in, ways, that, in ways that a younger person has not yet seen God faithful. Uh, be faithful. You've seen God wipe away enormous debts. You've seen God heal marriages. You've seen God bring children back home. You've seen God do extraordinary things. You've seen people be healed. You've seen people get whole. You've been whole and you've experienced freedom yourself. You've seen it. You've experienced it. And now you have something to offer to the next generation. You have something to give to the Isaacs and to say, hey, Isaac, I've got this promise from God and this is how I've seen it manifested. Here it is. Walk in this with me. Okay, now if you're Isaac, you've got two generations to think about. You're holding on to your Abraham and you're holding on to your Jacob and you're listening to Abraham and you're saying, I hear you talking about the promise. I want to be inheritor of this promise. I want to hold this promise. I want to take, up, I want to take part in this promise. I want to be a part of the promise. I want to be a part of this inheritance with you. And hey, Jacob, come on. We're going after this thing with Abraham. Let's go. Let's take the hill. No matter what happens, God's going to provide and he's going to be faithful and we're going to be able to do this thing. Isaac was able to tell his son Jacob, hey man, you wouldn't even believe what happened with my dad and I. God said he had to sacrifice me. <laughs> when my dad was old, so I could have just busted him up right there. <laughs> my dad was old, so and my dad made me carry the sticks. And so we're walking up the mountain with these sticks and we built, we built an altar. My dad made me build the altar. And then he made me tie myself down on top of this thing. And then my dad nearly stabbed me in the heart. And then God stopped him. And there was a ram in the thicket. And so God, God, God provided this ram so that Abraham could sacrifice the ram instead of sacrificing me. And that's why we know God is Jehovah Jireh because he provided for me and saved my life and allowed my dad to make the sacrifice that he, made, he had to make. And following God's not going to cost you your family. Following God is not going to cost you the family the way that you think it will. So if you're, if, you're an, uh, if you're an Isaac, you're going in both directions and you've got a promise. And if you're a Jacob, open your eyes. Middle school, high school, if you're in this room, yeah, I know we sound foolish. And, and man, I got some stories for you that you'd be like, you what? I've got some things that I've done and some things that I've seen, like good things, like good things, not the bad things. But like... <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of good things, like ways that I've seen God move in my life and things that I did for God in, a, in, a, in an attempt to be like radical in my faith, not in an attempt to actually being radical for my faith. And, and, but God has met me and God has met your parents and, or you wouldn't be here today. Or maybe God is just in the process of meeting your parents in a significant way. So the part of the journey they're bringing you in on is, hey, change is important and it's awkward and it's tough, but I'm gonna do this thing because I want what's best for, for you. 
I want, what, I want all of God for me and I want what's best for you. So come on, let's figure this thing out together. Deal with mom, deal with dad as we work on our character and we figure out who it is that God's created us to be so that we can walk into the fullness of promise so we can have something to give to you more than just a car and a house and a little bit of money. So that I can give you something extraordinary, an extraordinary deposit of faith that's gonna carry you through, the, through all the ages of your life. All the stages. So I just... Who's called to inherit the promises along with you? Who, who has God put in your heart, put in your life, put, it, put alongside you, next to you, in front of you, behind you, that God's called you to inherit with? I know that I'm called to inherit something with the, with the elders and the leadership of this house. I know it. It burns, in my, it burns with a passion in my heart that those are people I'm called to inherit a promise with. I'm called to inherit a promise with my parents. I'm called to inherit a promise. Uh, and what they've given me is faith to do everything that God calls me to do. And so there's this deposit that, sit, that resides inside of me to establish a church that looks like heaven. And that means reaching out to every kind of people group and every kind of person and every kind of language and every kind of color and every kind of political persuasion then bringing everybody to the foot of, foot of the cross and seeing what Jesus can do when he's the Lord of all of us. So who is it that we're called to walk with to inherit the promises of God? That doesn't mean that you're going to be in each other's pockets forever. It's not what that means. It, I've, I've got friends who I'm inheriting promise with all over the nation. I've got friends I'm inheriting a promise with in Los Angeles, California, and, and Pastor D. Han Lee, in Phoenix, Arizona, with Pastor Daryl Morrison. I've got people in Boston, Massachusetts, with Adam Mabry and Donnie, Donnie Fisher. I've got friends who are, who are inheriting a promise down in, uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia, Divine Unity Community Church, with Chris Johnson and A.J. Mosley. I've got friends who are, we got Paul Harris, who's going to come here and preach in a couple weeks, who's going down to Charlottesville, Virginia, with this inheritance to plant a church and establish a work of God in that, in that city, who's desperate for a reconciled people to rise up and to say, hey, we can be reconciled on Sunday morning and not just at the library. So I'm excited about that. And, those are, and that's how we walk with one another, even when we're not with each other, because we have this deposit, we have this inheritance, we have this faith that is handed to us. Oh, I don't know where we are. What slide is this? And he saw it. He was looking forward. And so when things were hard, when things were difficult, as they, as they didn't get into the places that they wanted to get, as they, as they, he faced severe drought and he had to go to another place and he had to, he had to persevere because he, he had to go to another land and he panicked. He wasn't, he, he wasn't perfect. I mean, this man is a man who twice acted like his wife was his sister because he was scared. His faith wasn't fully developed. So he showed up in front of these kings and he's like, hey, yeah, oh, that's my sister. <laughs> that's not good in marriage advice, right? He made a mistake in his, yeah, so not wise. And, and anyway, but God protected that and God rose above it and conquered, took care of all the things so that he could continue in this life of faith. So he wasn't perfect, but he was living this life of faith. And as things were difficult and as his faith was being developed, as his character was being developed, as things weren't exactly the way that he thought it was going to be or the way that it should be in his mind, God was developing things inside of him. But he continued to seek. There's a, there's a place in the life of a mature person where you no longer want what you can do for yourself. Amen. Anybody gotten there? 
where you've seen what you can produce and you're like, <laughs> no thanks. I, I see how far my relational skills got me. I see how far my money management skills have gotten me. Not that we don't have to work on our money skills or our relational skills. We have to, but, but it's not going to be our skills alone that do it. It's going to be our not enough plus God's more than enough that makes it acceptable. Okay, and so it's, it's my not enough relational skills, but plus God's more than enough reconciliatory skills will, will produce a great marriage. It'll produce great fathering. It'll produce, it'll produce great friendships and brotherhood and sisterhood in a way that you couldn't imagine, in a way that you can't create on your own. He refused to stop looking, to stop seeking after, not just any land, but the land whose designer and builder is God. He didn't want what he could do for himself. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. I want, like, in my, when I was, I was imagining, like, a, yeah, like, from you guys. So, but, like, it was like, yeah, amen, come on. You know, like, he is risen, kind of an Easter moment. That's what I was expecting right here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mike Woods. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what your eye has not seen. You know, there was this app. I saw somebody, Ryan Mapaya sent this to me. You know that, that app? You know, like, what eye has not seen? Hey, Jay, we've got Reggie. Come on, Reggie. Come on. Come on. Come on up. <laughs> Guys, I imagine this a certain way, and we're gonna, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. We, if you're a guest, we don't, I don't do this normally. But I don't do anything normally. <laughs> so, so, you know, just like, just like, you know, come on, you can do it. This is your upbringing, man. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Yeah, yeah. They can do this. We're bilingual. They speak white church and black church. You've had something in the middle this whole sermon. <laughs> Nobody's satisfied. White people are like, what is he doing? Black people are like, he's not doing anything yet. So just for this Bible verse, and then you can play something on the like strings, really melodic. You got a sound? Yes, I do. <laughs> what no eye has seen. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I got a five or two. My fight. It's going to be a it's it, it's going to be a bigger problem than you think. Because I don't have a key. I just grab whatever is close. He's like, I got to know your key. This isn't going to work. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'll put your phone down, Mimi. I'm going <laughs> to lose my job. There we go. <laughs> what no eye has seen. What no ear had heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God, what God has prepared beforehand, not for just anybody, 
not just for somebody, but for those who love him. For those who leave the land of Haran and go to the land of promise, who live in the land of promise. Can you shout amen? Hallelujah. Go ahead and sit down. You can stay up here. I needed that. You know, (laughs) I'm going to lose Facebook friends over this. And maybe my job. And maybe, (laughs) and maybe the job. Not just, not just any city, but he wanted the city whose builder was God. And he wasn't satisfied with any alternative. He wasn't satisfied with any fake thing. But he wanted the fullness of what God had for him. And that meant refusing to stop a hundred times. Refusing the temptation to, to hunker down and, and establish something in his own name, by his own right, by his own purposes. Now here's the thing. Despite the fact that it was uncomfortable, despite the fact that he stayed intense, despite the fact he was sojourner in a foreign land, he prospered. God prospered him in the midst of the discomfort and he increased in the land and he became a people. He increased in the land and God changed his name and made him into a man that God could use to pass down an inheritance of promise that we're beneficiaries of today. Because of his faithfulness to leave that land and live in the land that God has promised, we're here this morning. Family, we're connected to this, not just by theory or because we ascend to the story, but because faith was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And we are inheritors of what started with that call and his response to faith. And so this is the, the, my last my last thought is that I want us all to be able to say that by faith, I live in the land of promise. That wherever you find yourself and wherever God calls you to go, if some, for, for most of us, it's staying. For some of us, it's going. But by, the, by faith, I live in the land of promise. It's not what I expected it to be, but God led me here and I'm in the land of promise. By faith, I'm in the land of promise. Family, we need to make that the, our, our, our declaration, our heart cry, our reality. That we don't just stay here, numb or neutral or ascending to some truth. But we live by faith in a land of promise. Even if we haven't inherited it yet, we set our eyes to the thing that God is building. Beyond the thing that we're building. Because only he's the one who can pull it off and accomplish. Now the first journey that any of us take is the journey of our heart and mind, our soul. It's the journey of belief. It's the journey of trusting God and believing God and and entrusting ourselves to him and saying, God, I surrender to you. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that he died and rose from the dead that we're able to have access to these promises today. I wish I could go into more detail about the mechanics of that. But the reality is that if we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus to be our savior, to redeem us from everything that chases us down, that holds us in bondage, that, 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 that traps us, He's faithful to do so. And he brings us in to this promise that was made to Abraham. It's through Jesus that we're grafted in. It's through Jesus that we're brought in on this extraordinary promise that God has made to that man. It's Jesus that makes us heirs with Isaac and Jacob. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would help us. I I just got a a stirring in our heart with expectation. God, I ask that we would look forward to 
the things that you've built, the things that you're building and you're establishing, that we wouldn't just be, be aware of, but we would anticipate, we would seek out, we would look for your promises. And God, that, that, that hope, that anticipation would give us, would allow expectation and faith to rise in our hearts and mind in this time, wherever it is that we find ourselves. If there's anybody in the room today and you've been, you've been far from Jesus and you're like, man, I, 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 I've been far from Jesus, but I, I, there, I feel God tugging on my heart. I feel him pressing on my heart that there's a land of promise that he desires for me to walk into. And I want to enter into this promise through the, the resurrection, through the blood of Jesus. Can you raise your hand so I can pray with you today? See that hand in the back. It's great. You can put your hands down. It's not, raising your hand is not, a saving action. It doesn't say in, in the Bible, it doesn't say raise your hand and you'll be saved. That's, that's for us. It's just so your body can agree with what's happening in your heart. It says, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. So God, this morning we believe in our hearts that Jesus, you are in fact Lord and King over all things, including sin, death, shame, guilt and we believe that you died in our place and rose from the dead so today we freshly surrender ourselves to your love, to your plan and to your purpose and we thank you that you don't just, you don't just wipe away our sins but you, you graft us into this promise that was made to Abraham so many years ago and God for those of us who are who are walking with you as best as we know how I ask that you would increase our faith and that we wouldn't just we wouldn't just live in the land but we would live by faith in the land that when we go to work this week that we would go in faith that when we go home today to our families that we would go in faith when we have that encounter at the water cooler that we would go in faith and we will go to the grocery store in faith and expectant for the things that you want to do because we know that you've prepared greater things for us than we could prepare for ourselves. So we say thank you in Jesus' name.